This is the Rev Thinking Podcast. Insights and conversation between creative entrepreneurs who know the best way to deal with the future is to create it. Okay, so here's the question I'm going to ask because I've been asked this question by a lot of owners in the community lately. What is the factors method? What is the factors method? That's great. (laughs) Let's see how right how concise we can answer this there's a lot behind it but maybe just at a at a broad brush stroke what would you say the factors method is uh sure so um i do we're, we're going to get to uh what it means right after i tell you what it is yeah yeah of course i you you have met me at an unfair advantage because it's such a part of everything I do and think it's hard to be precise when you live it out every day, right? That's what the right. challenge is here. Um, the factors method is a proactive way of making decisions for your company, so corporate decisions, but ones that you can see on a day to day basis by managing your projects, specifically using direct and indirect expenses. So that is. What I'm hearing there is at the heart of it, it's a decision-making methodology. Proactive decision-making. Yeah. And why is that particularly relevant to creative companies as opposed to every other company that I pass on my walk from the train station to the apartment here in Tokyo? Well, well, probably a lot of companies need this kind of thinking. It, it works... The reason um, why we've worked with it with creative companies is because I, I believe that creative business owners, when they get into the industry, they want to do something else besides run their business. And they might find business, the business part of running their business distracting or pulling them away and they want to abdicate or they want some easy way of looking at the decisions they're making and wondering, am I on track? So by using the factors method, we're able to pre-build the results of the business on a year-by-year basis, and then implement the results of that through really like implementation through the production pipeline. That then if they're looking at a list of their projects, which we call a roll-up, they can see the results corporately from those decisions because we make a very simple report that producers follow a specific method. And by producers producing in a, that way and give us that information, the business owner can see, oh, I'm profitable. Oh, I'm achieving those goals that I wanted to. Oh, I'm not profitable. I see where I'm compromising my future by making this creative decision. I'm okay with that. I'm not okay with that. And whatever they have to kind of navigate, but they could see the answers because we've formulated it up front and then they can see it on a weekly basis through their production routine. Because part of what I heard you say there was maybe even sometimes the creative business owner is like a split personality, right? Because there's part of me that's creative and then there's part of me that has to run a business. And sure, maybe there's, it's a challenge, right? To wear all of those hats, but maybe sometimes those roles are even in conflict. Like I want to make the project great. I want to make the client happy. I want to go win an award. And then the business half of me says, if I do all those things, I won't be in business a month from now. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of e-mythy, right? To start out with. And those I say e-mythy because there's a book called The E-Myth, for those of you who haven't read it yet. 
And it has this thought of somebody who starts their business because of a hobby that they had they really love. I, I think it's making pies or something like that. Yeah. And this yeah. person that's making pies wants to make pies for a living. But when they start a business, it turns out they don't make pies. They're running a business. <laughs> and that's all those other business things that distract them. That's the entrepreneurial myth or the e-myth. And taking that principle, and the, or I say those ideas, and thinking about being a creative business owner, it works the same way. A creative person really started the business to have independent decision-making. So no one else is telling them how to be a creative director or run a job. They can go after the clients that they want to go after. They can work as hard as they want to. So they want to have some control and creative control over the process, but they get stuck with, well, where did my money go? Or wishful thinking. I hope when I get done with my whole career that there's something left over. But you know, Joel, you know, how'd that go, right? Just wishful thinking doesn't make you end well after many years. I'm thinking of my friend Cherish, who always said, hope is not a plan, Joel. Hope is not a plan. And that's actually pretty insightful because, you know, when you used the word proactive earlier, I thought, oh, yeah, every month when I got a P&L or even a dashboard, ooh, fancy, you know, I got a dashboard right from my finance guy running my studio. It was all historical data. And it would always show up, you know, the, the middle of the next month or by the end of the following month. And I'm always looking back and saying, oh, shoot, <laughs> mm-hmm. we should have made better decisions. So how does this method make that into something proactive instead of rear view mirror? Oh, I should have taken a left back there when I took a right. Yeah. So let's just use a metaphor, a pretty easy metaphor, right? A GPS. Um, you know, my first GPS was like a Magellan. And what that was is I can go hiking and I can say, this is where I started. And then it t- tracked me everywhere I went on the mountain. So it was like breadcrumbs. I think it was called breadcrumbs. And I could find my way back if I got lost on my Magellan. So it tracked me where I went and I could sex- successfully return where I started. But it, did it, was it a map? Did it tell me where I could go? or give me the turn-by-turn directions. No, that's what my Google Maps does. Still uses a GPS, but there I program what I want my destination to be. And then that GPS and additional programming, Proactive says, turn left, turn right, turn left, right. And I end up at the location I wanted to end up. So that technology, it feels the same. The P&L feels like it's the right place to look at it, but really you're looking at it forensically after the fact. You're deducing things based on past decisions. And what we do with the factors method and the factors report is we put that final destination in, program the turn-by-turn directions, plug that into a production roll-up, and tell the producer, get us there by producing this project properly and getting the right decisions there. You, you, even beyond this, it has influence on the sales team as well, right? Because now we're saying... Because of what we know with, the, with our sales, I'm sorry, our factors report, our sales team understands what a qualified or unqualified client looks like. Because the splits, which are the result of the, the factors report, my direct and indirect splits give me a direction of a qualified person because the splits work or an unqualified person. I can't make a profit with those splits. Mm-hmm. It's funny that you used the word forensic spec there, forensically. Because I'm thinking of even when we do projects, right? We do a post-mortem 
And I'm laughing, of course, because when a project goes over budget and you're looking back, it's like a death, right? Like that project is going to kill us, right? If we, if we, if we don't figure this out, we're not going to be in business. And uh, as, as we say, or even you might've said that project almost killed us. That project went over budget and we have its best intentions. Let's talk about what went wrong on the project we just finished so that we don't repeat that mistake. That's what we say. You know, when in the factors process and the factors method, when we implement that finally in the production team, our production routine asks a new question. It doesn't ask a question, how did you do? It's asking a question, what are your anticipated future costs? So that to look forward and say, if we keep on making this decision, will we hit our mark? We have a flag where, that we want to hit. And as I'm playing golf and trying to get closer and closer and closer to that hole, if I keep doing this, am I going to you know, get there in five strokes or 20 strokes? Give me some input. And the producer isn't looking you know, at, at past sins to get there. They're, pro- they're producing. They're imagining what does it take to go from here to there and giving clear direction. If we're going to accomplish this goal, team, we have to do X, Y, and Z to, to accomplish it. So I'm having a bit of an aha moment because, you know, we've used the golf analogy in describing the producer method, right? We use that in the producer masterclass, but it never occurred to me right now that when I'm playing golf, I never think of two or three holes ago that I did this and shouldn't have done that and so forth. I'm just looking at the whole head ahead of me and assessing what's it going to take for me to carry this stream. Right? How do I avoid that giant tree? I'm not thinking about the hole back there. And it's a lot like creative production because you're never doing the same exact project twice. Every project, almost by definition, is brand new. It is original. And that's, of course, part of the reason these companies charge what they charge is they're inventing something every single time. So I have, I have this big idea I want to float past you. And it's, I'm not really fluent with some of these concepts. Um, Some people would say these are like new age ideas. I want to say the secret when that book came out was one of the core ideas, I think. I'm probably misquoting. But it's this idea that you you, you sort of put something out to the universe and it comes back to you. Mm. Okay. That that sort of idea. Which I think... uh, I would say I've observed that it's this idea that if your brain knows what it's looking for, it will go and find those patterns and that reality, sorry, that reality will tend to come about. And I'm wondering now, is that almost one of the driving ideas behind the factors method? Because if we can create a scenario of, oh, you want to have this kind of a company? What's that going to look like as the year plays out? Here are the millions of decisions we get to make as we earn these millions of dollars. If we paint that picture, is there something that just happens in the owner and the team in their brains that it's like, now we kind of know what we're looking for. Is there something to that? Yeah, I think the secret... Uh, has something about attraction. It's almost like this idea that you could basically big, build a big enough magnet and then 
the stuff would come to you, right? I okay. think there's a principle of that. I, 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 to be honest, I don't think I ever read the book thoroughly, but I kind of know the idea. Um, it, what we're, you know, is a method or a, or a process. What's, a, what's different about kind of what we're putting out there is, we go back to the idea of golf. You're right. You're, you're not really thinking about, this isn't the driving range. If you're on a green, it's not a driving range. You don't have a bucket of balls to see which one gets the closest. You only get one hit with this ball. You've practiced over there. And, you know, so if, if you're a golfer, one, you've, you had to have already, you're already a professional. You already practiced a little bit. You know what it takes to swing your club before you stand here on the green, hopefully. And you might even have a professional caddy that will give you other inputs and ideas and things that they've seen and how the fairway rolls and, you know, which club to use and all that, like the idea of your team with all of their experience knows how to go from here to there. My idea is why don't we ask them instead of going, Hey, I know you might know something, but I want you to shut up. We'll find out how you did after the fact. I'll just give you a grade when you're done. I'll give you no direction up front. Instead I say, no, let's give the producer all of the responsibility and all of the authority and let them use that experience from, from where we are today to finish and see what it takes to get there. And then, by the way, the next check-in, we ask the same question again. What does it look like now? And you might find, you know, after in a five-week project, after two weeks, you're $10,000 over. But with three weeks remaining, you can make different decisions. And then in that 21-day period, you can bring back that $10,000 loss to a $1,000 win because you could, you could see it soon enough. You recognize that ahead of time, opposed to if you didn't know it, you would find out your $10,000 over after the project's delivered. You have no influence on decision-making then. So what I'm looking for is how do I leverage these professionals that I have? How do I leverage people that know what they're doing for a living? And how do I trust their input and I'm the one that gave them initial directions. Here's the splits. Here's what I, I think is important on the project. Here's the creative direction. And here's the client's budget. These pieces need to come together. I trust you can do it. Let's follow your lead and let's get there. And then how do I listen to that discernment um, on all these check-ins until we deliver the project with a win? I'm thinking of this moment when here in Tokyo, I was walking this team and this owner through the factors method, right? This is like the early beta version of the Factors Method crash course, which maybe we'll come back to. And you talked about having a scorecard, right? And, and relying on the expertise of your team. And I was telling this team, have any of you ever gotten direction from the owner when you're midway through a project, you're trying to get it done, and he, you know, the owner comes and says, you know, well, how much, you know, how, how are we doing? And then you look for a direction and you say, well, I have some decisions to make. What should I do? And the owner says, well, just get it done and spend as little as you can. And then I asked everyone, is that actionable? And of course, everyone, you know, looked around the room and had to give each other permission to say no. <laughs> <laughs> like... No, that's not helpful at all. I said, right, that's not a scorecard, right? That it, it, so, but the idea of can we collaborate? Can we see a path forward? Can we get, you know, pull out the right club and based on the changing weather conditions and so forth, uh, still get par? 
Well, if we have a scorecard that everyone can read and everyone can collaborate around and we have some time, right? And that's the thing I always hear you talk about. It's like, if we have time, we can make other decisions and proactively get a result that would otherwise be not so great. And we would just be looking back later at a PL or a dashboard and saying, well, we screwed up again. Last time we screwed up that way. This time we screwed up this way. Will we ever learn? The method has obviously was created and has evolved over the years, but many um, companies that inspired where we are now and the way we think of it are the companies that um, don't have any splits um, in place for their company. So the way that budgeting process would look or the distribution of that budget would look to their producer is they'd say, hey, the client's given us the budget. Here's 100% of the budget. Please do me a favor. Don't spend all of it. Spend actually spend, you know, save as much as you can. Quote unquote, save as much as you can. Yeah. Um, and don't spend all of it. Go. And so that producer, you know, what number are they looking for? Am I supposed to be spending 55% of the budget, 75% of the budget, 25% of the budget? I can't tell. And how do I know it's the best I can do? Especially when the business owner keeps giving me changing directions and the clients are changing directions. So if that's happening and I've spent, if at some point I've spent 55% of the budget, but the client changes their mind, now as a producer, I'm thinking, why have 45% of the budget? I guess I can spend it. And I don't ask the client for something. With the splits, what we've done is we say, hey, there's a portion of the money the client gives us that has to cover our corporate needs. That's the indirect costs, costs that are not directly related to this project. And there's a portion of this budget that has to cover the production costs, the direct costs to this project. How about I take the indirect costs off the table and it's 45% of what the client gave us. So I'm gonna give you 55% of the budget. Now go back to that scenario where I've spent, I'm projecting to spend 55% of the budget and the client changes their mind. I know for certain, I better ask that client for more money because I'm at the edge of when the company would start losing money if I spent beyond 55%. That's what was allocated to me in direct costs. And that visibility of a very clear target and what is a win and what is a loss, that scorecard becomes very clear and it's uniform. Everybody is reading the same reports. They can see the same information. And that's where that creative business owner knows that they're protected because they've taken the indirect away. Corporate costs are covered and they're working with their producers to make them successful with the direct allocation given to them for that project. That's why this all works together. And I often feel like when we talk about it, it's harder to talk about than actually just do. Mm -hmm. You know, we're really getting down to some basic decision making of the company, what the company's priorities are, the direction we want the company to go so we can invest in the company's future, make sure we secure that money. And then again, turn to our professionals and say, hey, here's everything else. Do the best you can. You can spend every dollar of it. Right. Every single dollar of that 55%, you can spend. Don't go over. I give you the responsibility, authority. Let's go have fun together. And that permission granted and working alongside people. And, you know, in some cases, producers are amazing. They find another 10% profit. That's, that's incredible. Did we need it? We didn't need it. We already had that covered in our indirect. Um, so that's the opportunity we have with the factors method and why it's so transformative inside of businesses. And to be honest, why some business owners come to us $200,000 in debt, and then 16 months later, have a million dollars in their savings account. 
because we've set the right pace for the company, giving them the right directions. Well, I also love that idea of once a week, right? The owner, the producers are all gathered around one report that answers, this is the way I put it to the team here that I met with. We can simply answer the question, are we winning? Like it's actually that simple. Are we winning? We can look at one report and say, yes, keep going. Or maybe not. Let's ask some questions. Let's make some decisions. But everyone to know it's kind of there in black and white. Yes, we're winning. And everyone gets to like innovate. Producers, producers learn from each other. Um, it's like it takes out all of that. Well, I don't know. I'm just dealing with all these inflated rates that have all this margin and profit and pad and production fee, whatever rolled in there. So there's, you know, we don't really know if we're making or losing money. But of course, at the end of the year, as uh, one of your first clients famously said, get to the end of the year. It says we made all this money, but where did it go? Where did the money go? That's where I discovered it. You know, you're exactly right. We kind of, um, or not kind of, we actually strip away all that crazy markup. We're able to compare apples to apples, staff and freelancers. We could see what real costs are. Um, we might have rates that we charge our clients that are marked up, but internally we're looking at true costs and we can have some assessment and recognize that what expenses are important to be inc incorporated in those direct expenses. We want the producers to have direct influence over these decisions, be able to calculate those with us, project them with us, even collaborate with us as creative business owners so we can understand what decisions they're making. But let's, let's get their instinct in there. And then to your point, when you're sharing this information with the team, one of the rules I have is just don't lie. If you're going to be over budget, please show the negative number. It's really important to see the negative number, especially to the whole team. There might be other team members that can collaborate with you to solve that problem, other resources available that are there. And the creative business owner gets to see the accumulation of all the decisions they're making and their creative team is making to say, let's, let's, let's not overproduce this. Let's not choose something the client didn't pay us for. Or let's go ask the client for more money. If we want to keep on going the path we're going, let's get an overage to accomplish this goal. All of that's possible, but in a very proactive way. Oh, my favorite move is, can we shift the creative? Because, you know, it's really subjective what we promise to deliver and there might be a technology, there might be change in the creative, the script, the editorial. I mean, we have so many things that we can do, but if we never stop to ask the question, Hey, what decisions do we make? You guys are experts, you're creatives, you're producers. What else can we do? Yeah. Change in creative is not a compromise of quality. I'll say that again, because that's right. a really good one. A change in creative is not a compromise of quality. And I think that those two get confused when you have an opportunity to work with your team, change the creative, no reason to uh, compromise the quality of the decision you're making. And, and I think most clients recognize they're paying you for the quality. The creative has to fit within the scale, the scope, and the budget that they gave you. If they wanted more, they would give you more money for it. But if they gave you that money, that's all they wanted. Your job is to produce within their scale and scope. We've seen numerous times that shift in creative and the client says, whoa, what a cool idea that you just made the, the project better, right? But it was brought about because of a decision in a weekly roll-up meeting, looking at the same data and everyone saying, 
can we make a different decision? Because if we just stay on this track, it's not going to end well. Yeah, I, I honestly think that we humans have a bias towards efficiency. And we can recognize mm. it. We go, wow, that's genius. It's so much more simple. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's actually what we're looking for. That's a really creative execution that make it simple and understood. Well, I'll, I'll just wrap up by saying, for me, it's been a thrill to see the Factors Method applied, right, to so many businesses uh, at, our, at our clients' studios. And it's something that, of course, I look back with a lot of regret because I didn't have this at my disposal for you know, the vast majority of the years that I ran my business. But I'm also really excited to see us making it simpler, more accessible, more scalable so that more businesses can benefit from the method. Because I feel like someday, Tim, in the not too distant future, that any kind of creative business on the planet, somebody at some point is going to say, well, you guys are running the factors method, right? And it will just become like gap accounting. It will become like, well, of course, that's what you do. This is a creative company, whether it's architecture, industrial design, or visual effects, whatever. Yes. Yes, of course. So that's, that's my dream. I love your dream. And I think it, it's starting well with just coming after this factors method crash course to be able to get it into a precise enough way that somebody could walk themselves through it or in the idea of the crash course, a small group of people are going to do it in one day and have that bulletproofing method in place and know what decisions to make. And then of course the integration will take a while with their team to onboard them, but the idea and principles, they can figure this thing out and get it, get it started. And tell me if you agree. I think the net net result is you're going to have businesses that are ultimately producing better work, producing better, more innovative, creative by and behind the scenes, the business is healthy, right? We're not doing forensic postmortems. We're giving birth to something and saying, hey, what could this company become if we have this vision and have this intention and this purpose? And I think that's a great way for I don't know. It's like a, one way where we can make the planet a little better, right? Every day is if we can empower one more creative company to thrive and produce great creative work. It, it's like the world desperately needs what all these creative people have to say and share with the world. So and then we allow them to dream bigger and create more problems that we could keep on solving with them. So our walk with them is long and and great. That's some of the clients that, you you know, we say it, but don't, and people might not, might not understand it, but we have clients that have been with us over a decade, retained us month by month by month on a month by month retainer, but they don't go away because the results and the dreams keep growing with us and we're able to pivot and keep on serving them. And it works. Once you put something in place that works, the routine is there and it's, it feels very secure and you keep on going. So, um, yeah, it's been, it's really good for, for all parties, actually. Uh, hats off to you for uh, the factors method and continuing to evolve it and nurture it and refine it. So let's just keep unleashing it into the community and uh, around the world. Thanks. I'm proud of it and I'm glad it makes the change it does. And I'm excited for um, all the permission it gives others to thrive in their own business and life and career because of it. It's really amazing. I want to tell you about a place to connect that you might not know about. It's our online community called Rev Community. 
It's a great place to get to know other creative business owners like yourself, to share some thought leadership and read other encouragement, to be challenged in this new marketplace, new technology, ideas, economic trends, and it's a place to research. Check out many of the resources we have online, our videos, and of course, this podcast. Join us today at revthink.com slash community. If you're a creative studio owner, feel free to join us today at revthink.com slash community. I look forward to seeing you there.